support. We thank the passive listeners for tuning in. And we invite you all to become active members like your friends and neighbors already have. Coming up, we're going to hear from Valley Views with your host, Dale Holiday, coming at you from Corvallis, Oregon in the bountiful Willamette Valley. This week, they're giving us a window into life as a campaign manager for a local grassroots bid for public office. At 10.15, Flashpoints with Dennis Bernstein. Again, hearing again from another arm of the Pacifica Network. That's from KPFA in Berkeley. At 11 on Pacific Underground, Jake and Sarah join in Korean... They join Korean-Canadian poet Emily Youngmin Yoon. Boy, I hope I said that correctly. To talk about her debut full-length poetry collection. We hope you will join your friends and neighbors and other persons and entities in your community in supporting the work of KBOO Portland, such as one I'm about to tell you about, which is my honor, privilege, and contractual obligation. This is the time when I remind you that KBOO programming comes from support for KBOO programming comes from Darkside Cinema in Corvallis, open every night featuring independent, foreign, and art house films. The Darkside is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street between Madison and Jefferson. More information and showtimes available online at darksidecinema.com. And now, as promised, this is Valley Views. Hi, I'm Dale Holiday, coming to you from Corvallis, Oregon, in the bountiful Willamette Valley. Welcome to my show, Valley Views, a forum for sharing relevant topics relating to people and issues in the Willamette region. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining me today. In today's show, I'd like to share with you some reflections and some observations I've made uh, during this last um, political campaign season. Um, as you may or may not know, I did serve as a campaign manager for my husband, uh, Max Mania, who ran for Benton County Commissioner. And even though it was a local, you know, small regional race, not many people can say that they've been a campaign manager. It, it is a slice of life. It is a, an opportunity to observe people in a way that most people can't say they have done. And even on a local level, I was not paid for doing this. I mean, it was something that I did because I, I believed in Max and I knew he'd be a good commissioner. But it's just as hard work whether you're doing it uh, on a local level or on a national level. Now, it's not as work, as much work as doing it on a national level, but it's hard work when you're doing your job right. That experience put me in a position to hear people's perceptions of our political process and the act of voting. Um, and it, it, it included their perceptions and emotions and misconceptions around voting. And I'm sorry to say this, but I was often dismayed by what I heard as far as people's 
opinions and perceptions about this, but I'd like to share with you a little window into my life as to you know, what, what I did observe during that time. So to, to set the stage, I'd like to first say that some of you may know, I am a black woman and I'm a black woman who knows history. And I'm keenly aware that voting for African-Americans was a hard fought battle. You know, people died for this um, right to vote and most, mostly black people died, but some white folks died too because they were doing the right thing. And today, as many of you know, uh, we have a huge efforts on many fronts to roll back that achievement uh, by purging voter rolls of people of color and you know poor people and the white folks in power, I'll say white folks, I mean, whatever, folks in power, usually in this country they're white, they, they are very much in favor of this because they want to retain their power and keep the status quo. Given my history, given who I am, I, I had it drilled into me at an early age not to take the vote for granted, as I'm figuring most African Americans have had that message in their life as well. But that said, it's always disgusted me how we have such a low voter turnout here in the U.S. Just generally speaking, national level, mid-range, local levels. I'm not going to throw a bunch of statistics at you, but we, we seem to crow about it when there's a 50% or more turnout for elections, when we get that much of a turnout. And and much of the time, it's it's lower than that. As you know, some local elections, it's it's even worse. Uh, any you know too too many local elections uh, and regional elections even feature unopposed candidates. You know it's just kind of a cakewalk into the position. Lack of voting is a problem, and another problem is that are the games that the two-party system perpetuates, like blocking out third-party independent candidates by using a variety of tried and, and true tricks. You know, folks, some of you don't want to hear this, but the Democrats are just as guilty as the Republicans for doing this. Now, there are individuals within parties that want to do the right thing, and they are, you know, that is truly their goal. But the party system itself, it just it j just generates a mind of its own. The party will do whatever it needs to do to survive, no matter what. So I'd like to get back to the topic of the things I observed and heard from potential voters while I was out there working a campaign. I can split them into two camps, okay? This is my own observations. And the two camps are, the first are the people that are uninformed voters who make choices for sentimental reasons. The second camp are people of all ages who just don't vote, okay? For a variety of reasons I'll get into in a bit. These are usually white. They're usually, I'd say, often male. Typically young, but not always. And like I said, this is not a scientific study. You know, I'm not purporting to have a statistical significance with what I'm about to say, but these are some of my observations. So the first group that I've mentioned are the, the uninformed voters who make choices for, for sentimental reasons. These are some of the things I've heard about why, why people have voted for a particular candidate. Well, she's 
my friend or he or he's my friend and I even went as far or well I, I heard a couple of people especially in this last uh, campaign go as far as to tell me privately that they knew the person who they were voting for was not experienced was not qualified and well a couple of people said too old that's not my words their words but he's my friend and um, I just want to vote for him. Well, I've got friends that I like, but if I needed open heart surgery, I'm not going to choose them to be my surgeon. You know, I'm not going to choose them to be an expert in something that they don't know anything about just because they're my friends. But you'd be surprised how often I would hear that excuse. I also would hear, well, he or she has lived here for so long, as if you're having roots in a in a particular area makes you qualified to hold elected office there. There's also, I also heard, well, it's his turn or it's her turn now, meaning that this person has either run unsuccessfully a number of times or they've given enough money to the particular party that the party deems, okay, it's their turn now because they've fed us some money. Uh, that's what that often means. And it's like, okay, once again, what this is not a joke. You know, this is not uh, some board game where you roll the dice and it's someone's turn, although voting in America does seem to be more and more that these days. I also heard uh, a person say, well, my, my daughter used to work for this candidate. And hey, what does that mean? I mean, I think we've all worked for incompetent, clueless people at some point in our lives. Is, does that mean we want them to you know, be elected to run the government? So those were some actual stories I heard or reasons for voting. That's the first category of the sentimental reasons. So now I'll talk about the the group of people who don't vote just for a number of reasons, and here they go. And like I said before, these are usually white people. They are often male, typically young, but not always. Uh, the first group I'll call the rebel. These were people who told me that they don't want to participate in the system, and so they've never voted. I ran into so many people, even people in their 60s, who have never registered to vote. And some of these looked like, I'll just, I'll just make that perception that I could have seen them, they're baby boomers, okay? They're baby boomers. They don't vote, and they pride themselves in it as if they're some kind of rebel, uh, kind of like, oh, I'll show them, I'm, I'm not going to participate. You know, which makes me think of a kid saying he's gonna show them and by running away or hold hold his breath until he turns blue. Seems pretty immature to me. And then there's there was a, a young man that I know him through, I won't say how I know him because that might kinda identify him, but he struck me as a, you know, have his head on straight and, you know, smart guy. He's, you know, going to school, going to college and everything. And he astonished me about saying that he doesn't vote, but he didn't say it that, you know, forthrightly. You know, I was asking him about the election and what what he, what he thought about the candidates and everything, and he said it was something like, "Oh, I don't, I don't do that," or, or it wasn't even that clear. It was was I don't I don't think about that or or, or something. He, and and I said, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, you, "You're saying you don't vote, right?" And he seemed pretty embarrassed, but he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, wh why why?" Don't you vote? Well, first I cleared with him. I said, 
you know my people died for the vote, right? Because, you know, he's young. I figured maybe he doesn't know history. I said, you know my people died. And he said, oh, yeah. I said, you know some of your people died. He said, yeah. I said, well, why on earth don't you vote? And he said that he felt overwhelmed by the choices, and he didn't understand the issues, and he couldn't figure out who's the right one. And doing the research was overwhelming to him, and he didn't want to make the wrong choice. He's confused. So to me, I think that's a cop-out. It's like, well, hey, you know, get, get informed make a choice, you know, get out there, take take the risk, if you will. But sitting back and doing nothing and saying you don't understand the issues just doesn't make any sense to me for a person that is, I mean, in all other purposes, you know, he's got a little career going. He seems like a thoughtful, intelligent person. So what is this about, you know, not understanding or being overwhelmed by the facts? So anyway, that was that. And then there are the people who are kind of the purest, uh, they, they would say, oh, no one that's running is good enough, uh, so I don't want to play. I, uh, they're, they're just not good enough, so I'm not going to contaminate myself by getting involved with the process. And they, the purists, are related to the ones who are cynical, who kind of say, well, what's the use? There's there's no one good running, or they're corrupt, or they will be corrupted, and everything. And they're they're kind of related to the purist, purist I think. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I can understand understand where they're coming from because looking at the political environment in our country these days you just really have to wonder sometimes and I hate to say this is kind of what what's the point but that said I'm not going to stop voting so we need to wrap this up I mean these have been some kind of wild and woolly thoughts I've had but informed observations and these are encounters I've had with the public around the subject of voting I'd like to say I was inspired but between the deep corruption of the two-party system and the checked out public, we're in deep trouble. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Valley Views. I'm your host, Dale Holliday, and I'd love to hear from you. Comments, questions, ideas for future topics, or other matters you would like explored. Email me at valleyviews at kboo.org. That's V-A-L-L-E-Y-V-I-E-W-S at kboo.org. Special thanks to Chad Howard from Corvallis Access Media for his technical assistance and support. I look forward to being with you again next time. And remember, as Doctor Who once said, I'm not in charge, but I'm full of ideas. Bye! KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is also available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Board meetings will be conducted at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, unless otherwise noted. The KBU Board of Directors meets the fourth Monday of the month, starting at 6 p.m. Please call 503-231-8032.
8032 to verify if a meeting is being held. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor Golden Years in the Red on Tuesday, January 29th at 5.30 p.m. at the Multnomah County Central Library in Portland. Golden Years in the Red with student debt will feature informational speakers and people who will share their stories about debt, including garnishment of Social Security checks for student debt when grandparents and parents co-sign student loans. Again, that's Golden Years in the Red on Tuesday, January 29th at 5.30 p.m. at the Central Library, 810 Southwest 10th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. This is still KBOO Portland. 